0: Hello, hello, hello again, and welcome to another episode of...
1: Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics.
2: Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> <Rolling> <laughs> the NPR voice?
1: I, I don't know, I didn't have anything. I'm tired. It's, it's, <laughs> I hate the holidays. It's terrible. I work in retail at the moment, so I can't feel joy.
2: I work in insurance, so the lack of joy is not just a holiday thing. (laughs) Normally, I'd be at the
0: movie theater and lack of joy is not there either.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's almost like, you know, workaday lives are are bereft of the the ability to enjoy the feelings that we're told are supposed to be endemic to this time of year.
0: (laughs) Not to mention, (laughs) antithetical to the very notion of what the message is supposed to be.
1: Yeah, consume, consume and enjoy, (laughs) you pigs. <laughs> Every
0: Christmas kale ends with Scrooge giving people things. Um, uh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But we always got to remember the beginning where uh, you should just let the broken leg child uh, pull himself up by his own crutch strap.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: would just like to point out that Michael Kane commits 110% in The Muppets Christmas Carol in Look, a way I- that few actors would.
1: I feel like I, I I'm I'm glad we didn't do it this year, but if society still exists next year, I think maybe we should do just like a bunch of Christmas Carol things, like Scrooged and Muppet Christmas Carol, and just all I sorts
2: of stuff. I love Scrooged.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every, everybody does, or they don't. I don't know.
0: I I, I just agree. remember loving Carol Kane and the Toast a bit.
1: Oh yeah. Yes,
2: that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of.
1: Anyway, uh speaking of movies, uh we're talking about movies, but not holiday the ones movies that we've talked about. <laughs>
0: uh this uh we're going to be looking at two holiday movies, but not necessarily Christmas. Although mm. one of them is. Mm. We're looking at um 1993, Harold Ramis' Groundhog Day. Mhm. And 2003, I don't know how to say this correctly uh tokyo satoshi khan oh yeah tokyo, satoshi Kong. tokyo godfathers modeled after john ford's three God, uh three godfathers
1: mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah those, and are, like those.
0: uh last uh not last time but the time before fad and care managed to pick a movie i hadn't seen with tokyo godfathers
2: i uh, had not seen it either actually yeah,
1: yeah really I actually haven't either. The I was using this as an excuse to finally watch a movie that came highly recommended.
0: So we managed to find one all three of us hadn't
1: seen. Yeah, yeah. I was I, I figured I would use our show as an excuse for me to catch up on some things. It seems, That's fine. Uh... That's what I did. <laughs>
2: I'm going to be honest, it's not that hard to find movies I haven't seen. All you have to do is look before, like, 1985.
1: I think really all you have to do is look for a movie that's not, like, on our shelf or that we watch over and over, <laughs> because it's easier to rewatch things endlessly than have new experiences.
2: How dare you? Some <laughs> of the movies I watch over and over are on Netflix, Thaddeus. That's true.
1: That is true. I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell lies like that. I feel mm-hmm. shame.
2: <laughs> Which,
0: by the way, speaking of Netflix, if you haven't seen uh, Malvani's Black Bottom yet, I have not. It's actually fantastic.
1: Ooh, I will. I'll make a note of that in the endless pile of Netflix things that I it's need to watch. The
0: last Chadwick of. Boseman
2: performance.
1: Oh, 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 my heart. Oh, yep.
2: oh, yeah. This year is awful.
1: Yeah, it's almost yeah. over. We finally just about <laughs> choked the life out of twenty twenty. But Just let's about. talk about let's talk about <laughs> two great movies. Yes, can we do that? I'm assuming. Yes. I mean, I'm being presumptuous here, but I feel since I don't know what Jeremiah's take is going to be, but I feel like I know you well enough to know that you that you also agree with us that Tokyo Godfathers owns. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. I'm going to be honest. If you're like, ah, oh, Tokyo <laughs> Godfathers is trash. I might have had to be like, I have to <laughs> Just to not-
1: End the call. Start walking west until we find Jeremiah so we can punch him in the face.
2: I'd be like, I'm sorry, Jeremiah. I have somewhere I have to go. I have to go lick a public building right, or something. So
0: let's start off with, let's let's switch it up, and let's start with Tokyo Godfathers. Okay. Well,
1: yeah, because if we started with Groundhog Day, we'd never get to the end of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I Just got the nerdiest laugh out of both of you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, so Tokyo Godfathers um, is interesting because it deals with characters we normally don't talk about on the holidays.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. not in this way at least.
0: No, yeah. Normally they are seen as people who are saved, and in mm-hmm. this one they are kind of saved, but not by through any generosity of a random rich person.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and like like you said, like this is uh, in that great adapt that great tradition of Japanese creators taking a Western story and doing something much more interesting with it. Yes, because uh, like the Three Godfathers was like they were just they were just bank robbers or something, right? Like they were. Uh, just I believe of- they were
0: just cowboys.
1: Yeah, like uh... it's an
0: old, it's a John Floyd movie I haven't seen, but yeah, the Tokyo Godfathers is based off a John Floyd movie with John Wayne called yeah. Three Godfathers.
1: Well, I think it is also based on earlier films and novels. Um, I
0: wouldn't be shocked. All movies are (laughs) on. It's
1: really easy. If you just take somebody else's thing and then move (laughs) forward, it's good People who
0: get mad about remakes really aren't paying
1: attention. Do you know how many versions of the Maltese Falcon there were before the one that people know? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh,
0: Which, by the way, yes, I am really, really excited for the Barry Jenkins Lion King. But to the Tokyo Godfathers
2: about so it's actually really hard to explain the plot of it so i'm not going to That's so it's many not twists. <laughs> really very important um it's very much in the the vein of like a certain kind of wacky comedy that isn't made as much anymore i would, I would
1: use the word screwball myself
2: yeah screwball definitely and essentially there are three people. Oh, I just forgot the girl's name. Hold on.
1: There's Hana, uh, Kyoko. No, I is the baby. Hana, Miyuki and, uh, and Gin.
2: Miyuki. yeah. So there's Hana, Miyuki and Gin. Gin is, uh, an older man, probably in his fifties or sixties, who is an alcoholic and a gambler. Hana is, we'll come actually come back to her. And Miyuki is a 15 year old girl who has left home and doesn't want to talk about it. Um, Gin is kind of uh, a scrapper, a fighter, kind of rude and hostile. And so is Miyuki. Uh, Miyuki and Gin are often at odds with Hana trying to mediate between them. Hana is very sweet, loud, outgoing, um, very flamboyant. Hana is actually um, – she's referred to in the story as an okama. So that's a word that we don't really have in English. And I may – I'm. I'm no Japanese expert, but okama is a word that I think the closest thing we would have to it is queer in the sense it encompasses a whole lot of different kind of people and identities, but it largely is people who transgress uh, gender norms in some way. Hmm. And, and it's, the- it's one of those
1: words that, much like queer, has both a, a reclaimed like by the community meaning, but also kind of a slurry meaning. Uh, Yeah. yeah.
2: It can be very cruel and pejorative and hostile, but it can also be what people refer to themselves as. And Hana can sort of be read as either a trans woman or possibly a drag queen. There's a scene where she ends up talking to someone she refers to as her mother and what we would think of as like a gay bar or a drag bar. But Hannah also refers to herself as a woman and talks about wanting to be referred to as a woman, about wishing that she could have kids and marry a nice man. So a lot about her would really suggest that she should be considered probably a an open trans woman, an out trans woman.
0: Well, yeah, at, because the at the day. end of the movie, when the end of the war, she talks about how she Upset because she's in the uh, the men's wood.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's it's also just one of those things where like cultural terms are slippery. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> terms, terms for gender are rough even in our own culture because people get so like the the reactionary people get so mad about it, right? Uh, and Even if like, you
0: spend your whole career life slowly ebbing toys as one. Particular oh,
1: I'm so happy. I'm so happy for Eddie Izzard all the time. She is living <laughs> yeah. her best life and uh, I love her forever. Um, it, I, yeah. I'm also not a hundred percent sure if she's like still gender fluid and is just more she at the moment, or if, right. if she's just out and out, she yeah. don't care. I will stay in Eddie Izzard forever and fight me. <laughs>
2: yeah. She's a sweetheart. <laughs> But, so back to
0: Tokyo Godfathers.
2: Sorry. Godfather. So um, <laughs> what happens is um, Hane, Gen, and Miyuki are all homeless. It's Christmas Eve, I think. And they're going through sort of garbage bins and garbage bags, trying to find something to eat before they go back to their tent, which is in a park in Tokyo, and they find a baby. And then things begin to get weird. And through trying to find... Uh, the, the Miyuki and Jen want to take the baby to the police. Hana has this moment where she's like, this will be my baby and my chance to be a mother. And she talks about how growing up as a foster child, she felt neglected and unloved. And so eventually they decide as a group that they will try to track down the child's mother and through hijinks, meeting people, finding this, finding that each one of them gets into a situation where they're forced to confront their literal past in the forms of people that they have left behind or hurt to have hurt them. Or they're trying to invent their metaphorical past where in caring for this child, they have to rethink themselves as children, as adults, as parents, as people in the community. And uh, eventually it all sorts of comes together in a place where they are all have grown as people they're better off. They face some of their demons, and it's all like screwball coincidence on top of coincidence. A couple oh yeah, like twins. we go through,
1: we go through like a yakuza wedding and yeah. like an apartment building's worth of gossip people, and like it's all, it all makes sense, but it also is nuts. Uh, yeah, well, there's a it there's a, a truck, cross city cross an action scene, journey. truck chase. Jin is yeah. almost
2: beaten to death by some roughs in the city. Um, like it's. They're separated, they come back together. People are hurt. Hanna is sick. She's better. Like all kinds of things go down in twenty four hours. And Hanna suggests that the baby um, is actually loved by the gods in some way. And so a sort of a vague suggestion that's not explicit but sort of implied is there is something about this baby that f- sorts sort of forces people to become better that the gods of luck and fortune will sort of intercede on your behalf to make you a better person.
0: Well, not only that, but like throughout the movie, the coincidences become more and more extreme.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Surreal.
0: Right. Like (laughs) one, like the, the Yakuza wedding is one thing, but once the truck crashes into the pharmacy, Mm. it begins to become almost magical. Yeah.
2: Yes. Uh, so, So there's a scene where, um, There's an ongoing thing where they're homeless and it's winter and they smell bad and they are driven like people are shunning them or humiliating them or driving them out of places because of this. And they they really don't have a lot of options. And they're sort of taking refuge in this like cake shop. And finally, this drunken customer starts screaming at them that they're homeless and they smell and they're screaming back at the customer and everyone like gets out of the cake shop and they're all yelling at each other on the street. When suddenly this truck crashes into the cake shop. Oh, no, it's, it's literally
1: an ambulance.
2: Oh, the ambulance crashes into the cake shop, and they would have probably been killed had they been in the store. Yeah. And they were driven out because the baby started crying. Like that's right. what kicked off the interaction. Well, and that, and also like the
0: guy was threatening them, and so they
1: yeah. all yeah. had to move outside. Yeah. Well, even then, like the the more that you pick apart any of these instances, like this is like. The amount of great coincidences that are woven into this story <laughs> in a way that works. And that, to me, is the important part. Because coincidence is is often like a lazy cheat for screenwriting.
0: Right. Uh, for well, it making... depends on, like, who's doing it. Yeah, like, yeah Some yeah. people do it like, oh, uh, what is it, Amelie? Yeah. Where like, <laughs> the whole thing, where, like, we're all connected, kind of like Magnolia, where everything is weirdly connected in a spider yeah. web sort of way.
1: yeah. But this, like the sort of screwball nature of it, and the sheer amount of coincidences, because like even before, like they accidentally save the life of the yakuza boss and end up at this wedding where one of the people there is the guy who ruined Gin's life, or at right. least who Gin blames because Gin like gambled away stuff. Just like it just it piles on so relentlessly and yet so well that it does not. It's not that it's not unbelievable. It's that it doesn't matter.
0: Right. Well, yeah. So even the yakuza boss they save, how he becomes endangered is almost also yeah wildly sort of. I don't want to say contrived. It is a little bit, but the fact that like they almost show you the dominoes being set up before oh, yeah. they knock them yeah.
2: over,
1: it's great.
0: But also, I, I, sorry,
2: go ahead, yeah. No, I just I just feel that if you did a very sort of japanese reading of this is like um because hana talks about the gods because of course a lot of japanese people are shinto or buddhist sometimes like mixed with christianity um, well, the like-
0: subtitle that i watched kept saying god like singular
1: yeah but also one of the important things to remember is there aren't plurals in japanese
0: oh okay
2: and so, like at, like, at one point, they even, um, they ransack a cemetery because at, around uh, New Year and in the winter and December and stuff like that, people will leave offerings to the dead. And so they end up ransacking a cemetery for, like, food and drink and baby formula. And they mm. steal a bunch of baby formula off a grave, which means that it's a baby's grave.
1: Yeah. And- like, it's a very, like, if you're not paying attention, it can go by fairly quickly. But it's one of those that, la- that moment really hit me. Like, yeah. oof, the implication
2: and so the the t- to me the sort of reading of this you could have is that there is some sort of like small god like the god like you know the god of small people who right. has decided to look out for this baby and by looking out for this baby is looking out for all of the the people that involve it, um, themselves with it yeah and th- there's a lot in here about the humanity of the homeless and also like they're like like these aren't perfect people like Jin is an alcoholic and he refuses to bathe and he's sometimes rude to the point of cruelty and obnoxious and gets other people in trouble. And he's also a very human person. And so just from the perspective of these people who are very isolated, very afraid, um, very vulnerable. And the fact that they're trying to sort of extend all of the few resources they have for this child is like very touching
1: yeah. And you do see like the cruelty that you see, like casually put toward like houseless people in this movie. It's right. very, it's not, I don't think it's over the top. It's just on, it's just un. it's not dressed up. Like right, the, well, the kids who come by to knock down that the old man's right. uh, like home and to beat them up or, or just the way people being like, Hey, you, you need to leave. You smell uh, like all of that. It's just very, it's, it's a movie that is, is uninterested in making, home, like, making any glamour out of being homeless. It, like, these, this is these people's lives, and it, it delivers it very straightforwardly.
0: In a, most films, when they have homelessness like that, they don't mention it. Yeah. So it's not even the fact that they hide it, they just ignore it. Hmm. Kind of like because to make the homeless person more accessible to a mainstream audience, we won't mention that he smells. Yeah. We won't mention, sure, they'll look dirty, but no one will actually say anything. Mm. Whereas in Tokyo Godfathers, they do make an, they make a point to be like, no, no, these are homeless people. They don't bathe regularly. And people around them, are cruel to them, much like people are cruel to homeless people in real yeah, life. Yeah, just
1: like a casual cruelty is not right. like not hidden. Uh, and it's I don't know. It's for a movie that I find very uplifting and very it it does not hide bleak. It doesn't hide its bleakness either. Right. Uh, right. I actually now that now that we've started this conversation, I feel uh, really dumb for not because I I forgot that. I, I, I guess I I hadn't real thought about the fact that you probably didn't know anything about this movie going in. I, I feel bad for not suggesting we have someone who's not a cis person here to talk about this. Yeah, <laughs> I feel, I feel, I feel I, real. I, I feel real stupid now that I think about. I, I didn't
2: know. I didn't know that um, Hano was a trans. Oh, woman. you did. Like oh, oh great. Remember. I'm the only
1: one who knew. God damn it.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry. It's I did. I was unfamiliar with it. Um, but I do. I do want to bring up one thing about you know talking about like how. You know the houseless are treated. Is that there's there's a the scene so um, Gin is very badly beaten mm. and he sort of ends up wandering off and falling into an alley unconscious. And then um, Miyuki and Hana realize that he's missing. They think he's dead. They realize he's missing. They're searching for him. They can't find him. And so Hana is like, I have to give up. She's like, I have to use the one resource I have left. And she goes to um a gay bar that she used to work at a queer bar and um when she goes there she realizes that the women who work at the bar have found gin in their alleyway and they've taken him into their bar and patched him up and this is somebody that's already been established like is dirty is homeless is drunk does not it's a little bit of a dick (laughs) yeah and they bring him in and then like Hannah sees gin and like she's overjoyed and then um her her the person she refers to as her mother at the bar is like, Hannah, like you just disappeared after you had this terrible interaction with a customer where you, like Hana punched a customer and Han's like, I didn't feel like I could come back. And her mother's like, sweetie, you can always come back. We will always love you. Hmm. And so it's interesting that some of the people who are the kindest to the houseless are this other marginalized community that themselves are on the edge of being unhomed. And they don't charge get anything. They don't demand anything of them. They patch them up, they feed them, they give them everything they can. And then the next day, when the three of them leave, they send them on their way with money and love. And so it's just this very pointed thing of like, when you are at your lowest, what are the communities that will actually hurt you and who will actually help you? Because Yeah, just sort of
1: overlapping communities of of care of a sort. Yeah.
2: I thought that was uh, very touching. Uh, Hana uh, has a future for herself.
1: I yeah.
0: really appreciate the style. Japanese anime has a, a much different style than anime than western anime. Also, western you, if,
1: if you've not seen any others, you you should definitely look into Satoshi Kon as a, a director cuz like the, this is a, like the movies that that he directs uh, are much like this one just above normal anime, I would say, like it, it, in a way that is r- really something.
0: Well, Japanese anime is much more fear with a style. and Actually, has a style. Mm. Whereas Western animation tends to be obsessed with animating every second of an incident.
1: Yeah, a lot I mean, of until, anime until, like, uh, until into time. the Spider Verse, we hadn't really seen anyone try and be like uh, outside of that in computer animation. Right,
0: and with Tokyo Godfathers, it's like every thirty seconds or so, it feels like like it feels like we're skipping seconds because. Mm. it's not- like, there are large moments where they're moving, but it doesn't feel like they're moving every second. Hmm. And the actions are stilted by design.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Honestly, we, we should, if you, not to not to derail this into just being a Satoshi Kon thing, but one of the things that, that you'll find if you watch other ones of his movies is that you'll find them very familiar because his movies are the ones that people steal from. Uh, American right. directors like to. Uh, especially, like, uh, Paprika and Perfect Blue. Oh... <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, sorry. Uh, that's a other thing.
0: <laughs> hey. uh, well, no, there's um, uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Hold on, way up. But no, with in terms of like basically just taking a story that's not necessarily something you would think needs to be animated, mm. and then telling it in that style is something that's very. It's much more common in European and. Other cultures, not so much in American culture, because for some reason we have decided animation is where all the family movies will go, especially. Yeah. If
2: <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about something like even Snow White and you stop and look at all the all the characters in Snow White don't have designs that really go with each other, like Snow White versus the dwarves versus the animals versus the witch. And so it has these sort of discordant styles that they put together fluidly. The sort of, like, same-faceness that right. we have nowadays.
1: Which we could, in a certain way, probably blame later Disney for.
2: <laughs> but, well, <laughs> yeah.
0: even... Okay, so let's take someone like Mamu Hasada. That's mm-hmm. the name I'm trying to think of. Even his anime is almost sort of like... It feels like there's an actual camera there in the way, like, the, the movement.
1: Yeah, yeah, it yeah. It feels yeah. Like, almost that. like
0: Ozu-type camera work.
1: A respect
0: and, for space, right? Well, uh, yeah. A respect for face, a respectful understanding that movement. Oh no, no, I, I'm film. sorry.
1: I said space.
0: Yeah, yeah, space. Yeah,
1: mm.
0: and in a way that most uh, American animation does not, in mm. which a lot of animation, American animation, often it just feels like the camera is recording what the animators want you to see. Doesn't feel like there's an actual camera there. If that makes yeah. sense.
1: Yeah. It feels like the world stops at the edge of the frame.
0: Right. Whereas with something like, say, Summer Wars or uh, I think it's called Wolf Boy
1: mm.
0: or Wolf Children. Um, it feels like the camera, the, the pans for long periods of time. Mm. And like it actually like the camera movements animated into the actual film.
1: Yeah. I And I mean, yeah. I will say... Uh, y- in 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 the good anime that you are clearly watching and referencing, that's true. There is also trash anime. Like, well, it, yeah, it, right. <laughs> yeah,
0: This is like in just like in terms of like basic generalities. Because but yeah, no, visually, they like... also grown up. Anna, American <laughs> animation, but those are far and few in between.
1: Very true. Uh...
2: Yeah, this is not. I would not say this is. Um, the movie has a very youthful, cheerful feeling to it, of the darkness. But this is not a children's film. But right. You. Imagination, just because it it is about like um.
1: I think it is a movie that would be good for children to watch. Uh, but I don't. Yeah, but it's it's clearly a, just a good movie.
0: Well, <laughs> kind of like um uh, Grave of the Fireflies. It's a movie. It's a movie.
1: Oh. It also <laughs> yeah.
0: happens to be animated. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, Grave of the Fireflies is an absolute. <laughs> That's a podcast for another day.
1: Yeah. Um. Oh, also, we, fun... we
2: could also not.
1: Yeah, fun fun fact. Um, <laughs> the uh, the screenplay for Tokyo Godfathers was co written by uh, the director Satoshi Kon and uh, Keiko Nobumoto, who also wrote uh, various episodes of Cowboy Bebop and the screenplay for the movie, which makes me very happy because that is my favorite show.
0: Ah uh, yes, Cowboy. <laughs> I remember Cowboy Bebop.
1: I know, I know. You lived with uh, Eric and probably got sick of it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think it's cute that not, not everyone in that friend group was obsessed with Cowboy Beaver. Oh, that's
1: a fair point. That's a fair <laughs> point. But I only ever visited, so I didn't have to deal with the constant onslaught. So. You did
0: more than visit my friend. You slept on my couch. Um,
2: <laughs> well, also, Thaddeus is kind of a Spike-looking weirdo.
0: That's true. For a full while, I think that was his actual, like, style.
1: Yeah, I just absorbed <laughs> that into myself and move forward.
0: And then he bought the Rocketeer helmet and just wore that everywhere.
1: <laughs> I, I, look, I wish I wore it everywhere. All right, <laughs> you're making me seem far, far more what I would consider cool and what everyone else would consider tragic than is actually true. But I do love that helmet.
2: I uh, know you do, uh, Jeremiah. May I tell you a very quick aside? Okay. Um, you realize what so, on air, so the, the Yeah, aside. no, it, it, it's relevant. Okay. I got a text from someone who te- simply texted me, hey, I'm looking at buying a house, and I think I'm looking at buying your apartment right now, and sent me pictures of the inside of my own house. <laughs> and, yeah, it was one of my friends who had never been to my house before, and what no. tipped him off was that he was looking at my apartment was not all of the lead addresses that I have. Hmm. it was Thad's Rocketeer helmet. (laughs) And then we went upstairs and looked at Thad's closet that's just like uh, like a video game character. No, no, no.
1: You're you're missing the the most ironic part of this, Kara, because the other thing that tipped him off was the Satoshi Cone DVDs that I believe he had lent to you that you had not watched yet.
2: Yeah. (laughs) But it was also the fact that he's like, yeah, he's like, I wasn't sure it was. And then I went and looked and I could tell it was Thad's wardrobe. (laughs) And I'm like, how is it his wardrobe <laughs> and not mine that tipped you off? And Maybe he like, knows oh.
0: other people who wear Lolita dresses, Cara.
1: That's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I'm the one
2: that has eighty of them, but fine.
1: Yeah, when our when our when our property management company was uh, showing the house, that's a weird feeling to have. Anyway, uh, uh, movies, but, motion yeah, pictures.
2: The real
0: question is how, why are those pictures online?
2: They weren't online. They were in. He was in my apartment. He was walking through my house. Like and, they went on a
1: tour. Oh, yeah. while we were at work,
2: <laughs> and <laughs> our, weird. our yeah, I mean, company right? forgot to tell us that they were Rent, showing our house. Renting
1: is renting is weird. Uh, owning is also <laughs> weird. Don't don't live in this world. Go to the moon. Um, <laughs> uh, so uh, Tokyo okay. Godfathers uh, is a is a film, and I recommend it because it's very good. Yes, uh,
0: my my only real issue with Tokyo Godfathers is the action scenes towards the end.
1: They uh, they do get a little over the top.
0: Well, and it's like one. It's like over the top in a way that like doesn't quite fit the rest of the movie. Even though I can understand like they're trying to escalate, yeah. it just feels like a step or two too far, but not enough to. Where I'm like, I'm done with the movie. Yeah, because if they bring it back with what happens on the rooftop and everything, I'm like, okay.
1: Yeah, like I feel like because they try and set it up a little with like Ginn's thing about like being a bicycle racer, and then you find out that that's bullshit, and then blah blah blah. blah. Right. Uh, but like it is it is a little over the top but like you said the payoff is so oh my heart oh all the feelings um so yeah yeah it's uh i i i like this i'm i'm unsurprised that i loved this movie
2: (laughs) yeah it's it's Absolutely. I'm not sure if it's. it takes place during and around Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It, it
1: starts on Christmas Eve. Yeah, this is... And
2: people talk about Christmas a lot, and like there are Christmas decorations and stuff, but I'm not sure I would paint it necessarily as a Christmas movie.
0: Uh, I, mean, I mean, it is in the strictest sense. More
1: of a Christmas movie than Die Hard.
0: Okay, yeah, you I, know, I'm not in right. a mood to start We'll
1: have hot takes. I No, no, feel. I was just trying to get Kara to fight me.
2: Yeah, no, because uh, Thaddeus, what you just said was wrong, and my infinite love for you shrank ever so slightly. That's fine. <laughs>
1: Doesn't sound so infinite, but I um. There's, there's different scales of infinity. It's a math thing.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a math thing. <laughs> hey, hey, look at me, I know numbers. Um, that's not good at math.
1: <laughs> I'm not good. At, I'm not good at discrete math. If you talk to me about infinities, I'll be here all day. Um, All
0: right, so we're moving on to Groundhog Day now before we get sucked into whatever the hell that is. Speaking of
1: infinities, uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. a uh, movie
1: that is a, a matroshka nesting doll that every time you watch it, you appreciate it further. Uh, oh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, no, Groundhog Day is what I call one of those, uh, it's a master, uh, I sh- it's a silent masterpiece in a sense, like, it doesn't sort of announce its greatness. Like, hmm. you don't even realize it's great, like, the second or third time. You're like, oh, <laughs> crap.
1: <laughs> well, the, the thing about this movie, a thing, I can't say the thing, it has all the things. Right. But it is it is completely understated. There yes. is yes. nothing about this movie that is spectacular. It, at, in terms of, like, capital S, like, we think of, or like, sort of over-the-top, overproduced, fancy, spectacular. It is like, all, all of the stars are, while, you know, there, there are still attractive movie people, they are normal looking attractive movie people.
0: Well, this is back in the day when movie actors actually looked like someone you can pick off a street.
1: Yeah, like, like not, <laughs> not to say that, that Andy McDowell is not a lovely woman, but she is a, a human looking lovely woman <laughs> Uh, in a way that, that movie stars have moved beyond <laughs> since the, the early 90s, I guess.
0: I would say the early 2000s is when you really started to get to the point where, like, character actors start to, like, go off to the side, like, by the wayside. Um, But what I really like, like, because you mentioned the sort of, like, the unspectacularness of it. Hmm. And, like, even the sort of sci-fi element of the movie, the the repetitiveness of it isn't overdone. Mm
2: -hmm. Isn't, like, there's not a
0: lot of, like, wacky sort of stylistic choices. It's all very grounded
1: and like we've seen a version of what's happening here in a propulsive blockbuster movie and it works edge of tomorrow is one of my favorite sci-fi movies of the last decade right but uh but like this movie doesn't overplay anything all of the no. repetitions are just repetitions and they're they're immaculately done repetitions and that like that understatedness makes it it's a it's a visual haiku. It is car everything you don't need is carved away, except like a couple of things I could point out, I guess. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, it's it's also like like Thais and I were talking about this. These scene so you have a scene where like. So I I kind of assume everyone's seen this, but the basic plot of this movie is this obnoxious weatherman, Phil Collins, played by Mill Murray, uh, has to deliver a report on Groundhog Day. He delivers it. He wants to get out of the town because he hates it and he wakes up the next day and has to relive the same day over and over again. And he goes through many misadventures of taking advantage of it, taking advantage of people trying to kill himself sinking into depression. And then finally in the end decides to take the opportunity to become a better person, which is when he finally sort of breaks the spell. But like, there are lots of scenes where it's the same scene over and over and over again. It's not repetitive, but like, if you watch these scenes, you'll see that like every single one of the background characters is the same and they're doing the same thing. Like it's one of those things that when you stop and think about like the practicalities of trying to film this, it must've been, very, a lot. Well,
0: so one of the things I for, for me what I what I think about most modern audiences mm. is you have a tendency to like you a movie's great because it looks great like yeah. and, like something like a Tarantino movie. Well, clearly that's a style choice. Yeah, but there's a lot of invisible directing in Groundhog mm. Day that makes yeah. it great. And if you're not paying attention, you, it's easily missed. Like how painstakingly like. Held yeah. Ramos is trying to keep everything exactly the same, but changing little things.
1: Yeah. And it's, it, it, I feel like you're uh, the, yeah, I think this movie is a great example of that. And ironically, one of the best ways to appreciate it is to watch it a bunch of times.
2: <laughs> well, it's, it, much like Phil, you start to recognize background people and background characters. You're like, Oh, that's a person that we're going to run into later. And they were in the background of this earlier scene. Yeah. And and you start to see people, and you start to get to know them yourself. I love this movie. Um, I can, you, you know, that scene in I Am Legend where, like, Will Smith has all Shrek memorized. Yes, that, that is what I am doing with this movie. Like, I've seen <laughs> this movie several hundred times. My parents and I have. My parents used to watch it. Like, well, there's maybe- also
1: there's also something really perfect about taking what is. Largely considered a joke holiday in American culture that everyone (laughs) is aware of. And making something out of it that is meaningful in a way that very few holiday movies, like that we think of as, as like, oh, it's this, hey, it's a holiday movie, can achieve. Like, this movie made a holiday that already existed mean something different.
0: Um, well, if you like, do any kind of research on Groundhog Day, you hear Harold Ramis talk about how the amount of people who have ridden him from varying religions and philosophies yeah. telling him that this movie perfectly embodies what they believe.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really something.
0: Well, yeah. And, so, and one of the things it does is it takes a rom-com and takes all the toxic elements and shows hmm. you why they're toxic without yeah. saying they're toxic. It just honestly shows you it Bill Murray playing one of the more perfect bastards he's ever played.
2: <laughs> and that's like what, what's what's great about this as a movie is it walks a very, very difficult line, which is that Bill Murray's character from being introduced to him is is a, he's a he's a prick. He's, and he's a massive prick. He's funny to watch, but he is un likable and we can
1: see that in the people that he interacts with like
2: yeah he's cruel to the people he interacts with he's rude to people for no reason he's hostile he's obnoxious um we see him get hit with a shovel at the beginning of the movie (laughs) it's such a great moment of like yeah (laughs) screw you dude and then we watch this really unpleasant person choose to grow And he doesn't, and it's not one of those things where he's like, oh, it turned out like he had a bad marriage or he had something with his dad. It's like, no, this is a person who chose to be a prick and now he's choosing not to be. And by the end, you like him. You like him a lot. He's a very likable guy and he's sweet and he cares about other people, but he's still kind of a prick. Because he's still Bill Murray, who is a prick.
0: It's kind of daring to make your main character unlikable. Like, Yes. yes, he's Bill Murray, but like as Kara said, he's he goes out of his way just to be a massive tool, and so you're yeah. like, for most of you, like, you're kind of a jerk. I hope something. Well, and
2: like, well, also, he, he's he doesn't get fight clubbed, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is that people are like, oh, the Bill Murray at the beginning is the hero of the film. That's who yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. be. Like, I think that that's not it's what people of, yeah. took away. Which being able to like prevent being jokered or fight clubbed, I think is shows like real skill because the camera judges him for being a jerk. Very oh, yeah.
1: well, this is something that, that haunts me quite a bit. And I'll, I'll say something here that uh, if, if anyone ever cared to listen to me, would probably get me a, a, a long line of hatred, but I don't like the office. Um, like okay. the, 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 the comedy series that is constantly on in the break room of where I work. And I always turn it to something else because I don't like, whenever it has a character say something like stupid and bigoted and racist, you're not meant to look down at that character, really. There's like an excuse, oh, they're just dumb. They don't know what they're doing. They're da da da, da, da." And I find that intolerable and I have no patience for it. And I don't like any of these. I'm not interested in any of the characters in that show because they all strike me as terrible in a a profoundly uncompelling way that the the show is sympathetic toward. And uh, this movie is the opposite of that. (laughs) <laughs> it, it starts with Phil obviously being a self-involved jerk who just wants to get out of here away from these people who he thinks are beneath him. And it's very clear that he thinks that And it's very clear that all the people he works with know that he thinks that and don't like him. And I find that like bold and refreshing to, and impressive that they did it well. Uh, and then like, we see him trapped with himself unable to escape the fact that this is fundamentally what he is. And like, he plays around with it to the limits of what he can get away with and then finds that it sucks and he sucks. And it's, it's just great. I, I I'm always refreshed by this movie. Yeah, It, it gives me hope for people that you can write a story about a bad person a- and have them grow and do it well. And sometimes I forget that because of how many like, popular narratives are just about following bad people and enjoying them being bad people for you. And that's not this movie at all. I think
0: that's like a modern issue because the whole plague, still yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of great stories about awful people.
1: I, I know I that, that's me getting on like a, an ax about something that bothers me in my daily life now. But yeah. uh, I, 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 I recognize that this isn't the only story that does that well, but this does it so well.
0: I think also like there's a, there's a weird thing with modern audiences where they tend to miss things like that. I get like, yep. Maybe yeah. miss the point a little bit. <laughs> but yeah. I think I mean, every I mean, audience misses the point of a generation.
1: Well, I mean, also a sitcom, like, uh, and I'm comparing it. I'm sort of unfairly comparing it to sitcoms, which I think are a bad vehicle for this kind of storytelling, anyway. Because sitcoms are always about returning to the status quo, essentially. Right. Like we, we, like that's flexed a little in modern days with like season arcs and and like shifting casts and things. But I, I still think it's it's fundamentally a bad idea to to have a sitcom about people who are legitimately bad people, because all it will do is have you spend Time with and like bad people, and, unless it's
0: Seinfeld.
2: <laughs> but the kind camera of was, was, no, the camera <laughs> kind un- of. The camera was pretty unmerciful to Seinfeld Like, yeah. very often The joy was in seeing these obnoxious Self-involved people get Knocked down yeah. and and not like really The ending of Seinfeld,
0: Seinfeld is basically one giant F you to the people of Seinfeld
1: Yeah, at the end of Seinfeld, they're all literally punished <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, But getting back to Groundhog Day Sorry, sorry, uh, that,
1: was a, that was a weird tangent <laughs> a thing um, I get Danny on.
0: Rubin co-wrote the script yep. Danny Rubin wrote the script And then Harold Ramis worked on it and there are a lot of little things. What I love about Groundhog Day, one of the many things I love, mm. are lines like, I've killed myself "I so many times, I don't even exist anymore.
1: Oh, such a good line.
0: I've come to the end of me, Rita, there's no way out. Little, like, lines, like, deeply philosophical lines that are no. really great, but because the movie is so low key, you miss it the first time. Through. There's no sting. So, it, right. There's
1: no, there's no sound cue for that. There's no, it, the camera doesn't do anything different than it did the last time it showed you this shot. Right, like it's
0: you like you or, hear the line and you kind of laugh, but it's not to like the more times you see, you hear the line, and you're like, oh, oh, that's okay. And because yeah. it's also one of the things we start to realize, the more you watch Groundhog Day, the more you begin to ask the question of how long has he been there? Yeah, which I find is odd. The first time most people watch it, it's not a question they ask. Mm.
2: I do want to add to this mm. that um, the line that haunts me the most from this movie is don't drive angry. Don't drive
0: angry. <laughs> I want I to
2: stay. I I. Okay. Every, almost every time I look, so this, <laughs> this is a scene for our, our definitely listening audience. This is a scene where uh, Phil and some sort of like hysterical, Suicide kidnaps the groundhog and drives away with him, and then like puts the groundhog in his lap so it can drive.
1: Yeah, it's literally a like, first suicide attempt. We do yeah. know that.
2: And he's like, You got, and he's like telling the groundhog, He's like, You gotta, um, you, you gotta check your mirrors, check side your of mirror, your eye, side of your eye, like,
1: side of your eye. Yeah, yeah and he's like,
2: He's like looking, and honest to God, every time I'm driving and I turn to look at my mirrors, I'm just like, Side of your eye. <laughs> <laughs> it's well there's also so at at the very beginning when phil goes through his first day he's in a bed and breakfast and there's this very cheerful landlady. he's like how did you sleep would you like some coffee what do you think about the weather and she's just like making nice chit chat and he's very rude to her and very obnoxious and very like snarky Mm. so like she's like would you like some coffee and remember this is like 1992
1: in a small village
2: (laughs) and she's like no he's like yeah i didn't think so and then so but the funny thing is is the next day when he's afraid because he's reliving the groundhog day for the first time and she tries to talk to him she's like would you like some coffee he says uh yeah thanks and he's pleasant to people and you start to realize that he, all of the nasty things he says to people are choices Yeah, they're not automatic that when he stops trying to be whatever it is, he's actually just a pretty normal person.
0: Hmm. Well, and even like the point of Groundhog Day, isn't that he becomes a different Phil?
1: No, no. He becomes a
0: better Phil. And you realize all of this has been choices that he's made.
1: Yeah, and it's even even the things. It's not like he always does whatever um, Rita, Andy McDowell's character. It's not like he takes all of her advice like whenever she gives it. It's like he he picks some things sort of naturalistically, and and it's I don't know. It's it's very interesting because well, in he, the
0: beginning he tries to.
1: Yeah, he tries to anyway, do that manipulative thing, and it doesn't work.
2: <laughs> there's there's a um so there's there's a character in this film, Andy McDowell, play, Rita, who's his producer, who he kind of falls in love with and he tries to essentially over and over again live the perfect date with her like over and over and over and over and it just fails. He can't get her to fall in love with him. It always ends in failure. And so at one point he gives up and he just tells her what's going on like I know everything about you. I'm reliving the same day. And she's like maybe you should try and like take advantage of it. Like I often wish that time would stop. Maybe that's what you should think about doing. And then after that scene uh Like when his next when his day restarts again, we see him start to look around for things to do that have nothing to do with manipulating or using other people, but things that will enrich Phil. It's, not, one.
1: it's also not a perfect turn. Like, he still no. does dick around with people. And I, I like the fact that it has that messiness.
2: Yeah, because because no one's perfect. But that's when we start to see him be like, I'm going to be trapped in this forever. And I can't be maliciously controlling people or out for my own gain. I, I have to find meaning in this. And he starts to pursue learning to play the piano and becoming an ice sculpture and saving people's lives.
0: Because after a while, it's just like it like all the manipulation and everything has no, there's no return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's a temporary satisfaction thing, but then it's like, well, if I'm here, how long is eternity? If this is eternity, then I, yeah, what's the point of doing all this? Why not do something that makes me better? Because I have nothing else. The manipulation has no reward because the next day just all goes back to normal. Yeah, it like resets.
1: Actually, I will. Uh, one thing I wanted to, to jump in when Kara was describing his first sort of interaction with the the bed and breakfast landlady. There's another little moment in that scene that I think I, I really appreciate, which is like you see Phil be interested in something briefly because he's dismissing all this stuff, like he, uh, you know, wanting better coffee and all this other stuff. And then she me- She mentions the weather, and he starts to go on like his like weatherman stuff, where he's like, "Oh, it's going to come up this way." Da-da-da-da. And then at the end, he stops and is like. Oh, were you? Did you really want to talk about the weather, or were you just making chit chat? And he <laughs> looks kind of hurt, which is interesting what? to me it's- because it shows that he actually does care about his job, and he, he's interested in this stuff. And when he boards someone with it accidentally, uh, he feels kind of silly and bad, and it's and also
0: gives uh, credence to the fact that another station would want to hire him. Yeah. He's a good weather guy. He's not just an obnoxious prick who's not a good weather man. He's yeah, actually better, really good at his job.
1: Yeah, it's just a little moment that I... I'm I don't. I'm not sure if this is the first time I noticed it or not, but I, I don't know. I appreciated it uh, very specifically this time.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. The The amount of little things like that in this movie... Oh, one of the things that make it so impressive. And Harold Ramis, who's made a lot of good movies and a lot of sort of classics, in a sense, Groundhog Day, I think, might be, like, the one perfect one he's done.
1: 100%.
0: And he's done... He, Yeah, he's done Caddyshack, but Caddyshack's not perfect. You have everything with the fucking Caddyshacks. <laughs>
2: Honestly, Groundhog Day, I would say one of the great things about it, in its own ways, is some movies... um, I don't mean this in a literal sense, but there are some movies that you watch and you're like, I wish I could see the prequel to this, or I wish I could see the sequel to this. Right. And it sets you off thinking about all of the other things that could be going on. Like star Wars to me is a great example. Like you watch star Wars and you just want to live more in the star Wars and think about it and talk about it to me. Groundhog is groundhog's day. is a, is a great movie because it's a complete story and it's over when it's over. It's completely yeah. satisfying as is. It has I don't want to know gone. why. I
1: don't want explanations. Yeah. I don't want further anything. That's yeah. another
2: thing. I'm
1: so happy it doesn't. Oh, explain. the curse thing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Because who cares?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> who cares why this happened? Like it very clearly happened because Phil needed it to happen because he's a prick. Yeah.
0: But not only like even the ending. Is,
2: hmm. He saves people's lives. Like it's yeah. it's funny, but like he saves multiple people's lives by the end of this movie. Yeah.
0: Except for one person, he can't. Yeah. yeah. With the homeless guy, is always every time I watch oh, it heartbreaking. That's that's like the turn of the movie when you start to realize, oh my god, I didn't realize I was so invested in this movie. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> uh, I I honestly can't say that because this movie came out when I was five years old. Right. And my dad. <laughs> Both of my parents, but especially my dad, immediately became obsessed with it. And so, like, I was, you know, ADHD is just diet autism. So I was happy to watch this movie 20 or 30 times in a row. Like, that's how I roll.
1: Look, I'm suspicious of anyone who's not willing to watch this movie endlessly.
2: Yeah. So I I, I don't, this may sound strange. I don't remember a life without Groundhog Day. In it.
1: That's okay. I don't, I don't remember a life without Ghostbusters. So, you know.
2: Yeah, I don't remember a winter without my dad opening the door and going, it's cold out there today. And my mom's going, it's cold out there every day.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is
1: uh,
2: ingrained.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, well,
2: like, even
0: like the fact that Annie is a character in her own right. That's interesting. Mm. Yes. Like, it's one of the rare romantic comedies in which, both lead. So you're like, Oh, I want, I don't mind hanging out with either one of them. Yeah. And you can almost understand why, like, it's also one of those ones where like, I get why he likes it. She's a cool person.
1: (laughs) And he, and yeah, which is doubly funny because like Rita, uh, McDowell's character is essentially just like in a shallow way, you could read her as just another romantic comedy, uh, woman. Right, she, she is an upbeat, like kind of quirky woman with a job in media production.
2: <laughs> like, well, and, and, that
1: describes so many women in romantic comedies.
2: Well, but the the first time that we see her,
1: the blue screen bit, and, I always yeah, the blue
2: that. screen, and <laughs> Phil sees her is that she's wearing a blue sweater, staying from a blue screen, and so she's just uh, a floating head and hands, like on the weather map, <laughs> and she's having fun with that, and then she sees that Phil's looking at her and she laughs but she doesn't stop doing it because it's fun. Yeah. And that's just Rita all is she's just a very joyous person but also she doesn't take any She doesn't need the
0: approval the way Phil needs the approval. Yeah. Yes. And what I think is what happens is like by the end he realizes he doesn't need the approval either and that's what she's drawn to. It's like yeah now you're and this is what confidence is.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well because in like in a lesser written version of this movie like it, the cycle would have broken earlier like just when when he started you know helping other people and like opened up to Rita and that would have been a, a much shallower movie as opposed to this one where like he opens up to her and they have a connection and then it he's just still stuck like it just keeps going and it's he has more growing to do and it's not interested in just these two people uh and i i don't know i, I like i like that uh so much that
0: and the ending is both definitive and open at the same time. Yeah, the ending is they move on to the next day, so that's it. We don't need to know anymore, yeah. whether or not what that day is or where they are, is completely up for interpretation.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's a like uh, if I if I ever teach a creative writing class again, I want to just show this movie and be like, okay, did you notice how they didn't explain why this happened, and in the end, it just ended when the story was over. Do that. Do
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to set up a franchise.
1: Yeah, don't don't tell me. Don't yeah. Don't give me your like universe manual. Uh, just tell the story. Just go. <laughs> go forth and uh, tell stories.
2: <laughs> I really feel it's important to tell every kid of writing student that they need to create a solid backstory and write that first of like. Tw- fifty to a hundred pages.
1: And then burn them.
2: And then <laughs> cut it. Cut it from the story completely. And then like no come on fire cares. to
1: exercise it from uh from from the universe. <laughs>
0: uh, yes. So Groundhog Day is one of those uh, I I use Groundhog Day as a perfect way, like if you're a movie buff and you want to start looking at films critically, it's an excellent starter. Yeah. Because there's a lot of things you can start realizing, like storytelling wise and camera wise. Yeah,
1: and basically, only ever, uh, if I could start over in movie commentary, I would only ever talk about Groundhog Day. That'd, that'd be <laughs> That's the only movie, <laughs> the only movie worth studying.
0: Now, <laughs> go ahead, this is perfect um, pandemic viewing because it feels like we're living the same day over and over. Oh. <laughs> the news begs to differ.
1: yeah that's true. Well also like it I, I, it's it's great pandemic viewing because there's hope in places even when you are unable to get out of them. like there is I don't like it, it's it's one of those things that Kara was talking about earlier. like he starts to see these other opportunities that have always been around him but that he didn't notice before like the and chooses not to be trapped to the extent that he is able. As as he goes forward, like there's, I don't know, there's a there's a, there's a lot of hope in He's
0: there. Also able to move around with most people on either, so I feel like that's just more of a wishful. Like I wish well, I was moving
1: back. emotionally and growing internally. I'm not being literal, Jeremiah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just want to point out that, like for me, as someone with Raynaud's disease, being stuck for hundreds of years in in the snow, I wouldn't be able to go outside.
1: Well, yeah, you'd, you'd lose hands or whatever. Yeah. What hands? Kara has a circulation disorder.
0: Oh, okay,
2: yeah. So I, I like that. That's it's it's such a small thing, but I'm like, man, I couldn't imagine being stuck in cold February weather for me in Hawaii. <laughs> also, um, this takes place in Punxsutawney, Philadelphia, but it actually was filmed in Woodstock, Illinois, which is where one of my friends is from. Oh, cool! So I have been to all of the sites for this sometimes, which she was incredibly, like, bored and somewhat irritated by, and I was just thrilled.
0: <laughs> I will uh, say Paxitani is one of my favorite names. For a fictional name for a town.
2: Oh, so uh, what about Gobbler's Knob? Yeah,
1: Gobbler's <laughs> Knob <laughs> uh, Every time, like, I forget that that's the name of the little park in <laughs> town every time oh, I, 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 I until I watch about again. it again. <laughs> like, uh, that's an
0: example of a dirty joke you can put into a PG movie that no one's gonna catch.
1: But also, Punxsutawney is a real town.
0: Well, yeah, well, yeah, you know what I mean.
2: Well, also, there's something that's very like small town about something being named Gobblers Knob, and nobody in town reacts to it like it's weird because yeah. we just well, yeah, that's another thing.
0: Like, like, it gets the small town feeling really like head on. Yes like not everybody knows everybody but enough people do know enough people.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and you do the there is a lot of repetition and <laughs> daily routine.
2: <laughs> I grew up in a town that has coal miners park and then one day my mom casually mentioned to me that there was a coal mine in, like under the ground in the backyard and that's why they're having issues with some like stuff with the house. And my response is there are mines in the backyard and she looked at me and goes, "Kara, why the hell do you think we have coal miners park? <laughs> 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 and I just looked at her with like blankness in my face.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. So that's, like that's the great. small
2: town of like, this thing has existed forever. And we just, just say these words without them having meaning. Well, yeah, It's anymore. like you,
1: you learn something when it's just noises before it has meaning. And so it, even once you know what those words mean, it doesn't like, you don't connect it. I love that. Yeah. stuff. It's great. <laughs>
0: it's fantastic. All right, so uh, that's all the time we have for now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, next episode, unless we're
1: trapped in an infinite loop, in which case, you know,
0: in which case, it's still only an hour. Um, yeah. <laughs> ne- n- uh, the next episode, we'll be looking at "Show Me a Hero," a David Simon miniseries mm-hmm. uh, for yeah. the next uh, for the propaganda and Tifa episode.
1: Mm-hmm. And also, uh, if I recall, uh, Oscar Isaac.
0: Oscar that's Isaac, directed by, of all people, Paul Haggis. Hmm. <laughs> Which, if you know anything about Walker, Texas Ranger, or Crash, the bad one, then you know <laughs> who Paul Haggis is. <laughs> that's, that's,
1: <laughs>
0: but, weirdly enough, Show Me Hero is fantastic.
1: Uh, oh, okay. I'll, I'll be the judge of that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yes, that's why we have this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm
0: Literally, why? Okay. okay. That's all the time we have.
2: Say goodbye, Thad and Kara. Goodbye, Thad and Kara.
1: Is it one hour if it's repeated infinitely, though? Yes. No. <laughs> uh.
2: Yay. Thank you. Yeah! I thought you were working that thought you were working and didn't want him also, Apparently uh, Mhm